podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp and I'm just interrupting you as you listen to whatever it is that you actually want to listen to to tell you about the second series of Middle Please Umpire. Middle Please Umpire is a podcast that I, Miles Jupp, if you weren't concentrating when I first introduced myself only moments ago, that's not a criticism, your thoughts are your own and you must focus them wheresoever you yourself choose, host with Mark Wood, the 95 mile an hour bowling, England playing World Cup winning Northumberland hailing cricket lunatic Mark Wood. It's another series of episodes of the two of us talking about cricket and indeed any other stuff that springs to mind both with each other and also with a succession of frankly illustrious guests. We lift the lid on Mark's life as an international sportsman, basically he spends a lot of time icing himself, and take you on a whistle-stop journey through the windmills of his mind. I, a mere fan, listen agog, giggle excitedly and try and draw comparisons with my own rather more mundane existence. All episodes of Middle Please Umpire are available right now from your favourite podcast providers. And welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig, and I'm joined by Paul Doolan. Hi. And Dave Watson. Hi. So I, try, I tried out something a little different there, didn't I? And the way I said it, it was a bit breakfast, DJ. Yeah. Well, you're listening to the Newcastle Natter. Coming up, we've got the news and weather. But first, we're going to talk about the game. So, guys, um, <laughs> we might as well go straight in. On the last podcast, the first half of the the show was taken up by talking about the Super League. And so impactful, so passionate was our debate on the last Newcastle and Atta, we managed to bring down the Super League. So we don't need to worry about that anymore. Are we the big no. three that took down the big six or the big 12? I think we are. I think yeah. we are. It's been, I, think... I, I enjoy, we were on the last night, we were right in the midst of it. Hmm. After about two or three days of constant news on the Super League, I'd, that was the most I've enjoyed football. <laughs> <laughs> in a couple of years, at least. That was so entertaining. Well, it was because it, it gave an opportunity for like novel opinions. Because normally it's just like, is that player any good? No, he's shit. We all know he's shit. Are Newcastle any good? No, they're shit. We know they're shit. Is that ha- is that a handball? Yeah, yeah. Is that is VAR? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking takeover. You takeover. know what I mean? <laughs> I but, think as well, it was a rare occasion where money doesn't completely win out against principles which in football these days is incredibly rare i don't know if money won if principles won out over money or i think they principles won the battle yeah i think one pot of money won over another pot of money i think that's the the pot of money that won is still a pot of money linked to a competition that's genuinely competitive so like sport in a way won yeah. I think you're probably right. And when you deeply analyse it or almost anything, it's very depressing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From whatever, at whatever angle. Almost anything in this world, if you really look into it, is very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it, it, just as a consumer of news, 
I found it so enjoyable because it was simply like, right, okay, what's the story? Right, they're the goodies, they're the baddies. Uh-oh, looks like yeah. the baddies are getting it wrong. And it was like, it was just so, just watching it crumble. It was it was just really entertaining. But there were so many unlikely, so many unlikely alliances as well. It's like suddenly we're on the side of like UEFA and FIFA who are normally the the, you know, despotic villains and also on the side of Chelsea fans who usually racist pricks. So it was quite a weird bedfellow. It was, I enjoyed it. And long now I want another one, like something else like that, just something else. The only thing that took the edge off is the sort of two days after it's been in the news cycle, you get the inevitable smug, I'm actually going to be quite contrary now. So, like, every, the people mm. come out and go, oh, so uh, everyone's happy with uh, Russian money and football, are they? The, the, uh, <laughs> the bad guys, are they? People who seem to assume they've made this amazing point for the first time that parts yeah. of football are corrupt or governed by money <laughs> over principles. Yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. true. But it was entertaining for a while. And I think we will get the chance to see a little bit of that Again, I think it will rear its head. There'll be hmm. some things like that, but that well, it was interesting. I'll ever get as much pure joy from football as that. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting because the PL, the Premier League, are looking to change the laws so that if that were ever to happen again, the teams are booted out of the league. So it, it will be if it were to happen again, and somebody say like, let's have a European Super League they'd have to weigh that against the fact that they will be booted out of the Premier League. I've heard that, and I've heard that that, that they would have to sign it off. So if you don't, if Man United, for example, refuse to agree to that, then then that sort of proves that they're like, them pulling out is completely... Mm. Um, I sort of feel like their owners wouldn't mind signing that off either, though. All of those six clubs... I think the the fans, the players, and most board members wouldn't like it. But I think the owners, especially the American ones, would be like, "Great, that would that would solve a lot of our problems." <laughs> well, we'll see. But um, I enjoyed it a lot. And also, um, is it is it okay to say that I'm quite enjoying being a Newcastle fan? It's been. Brighton was on the 20th of March when we lost 3-0. Hmm. Since then, it's been quite good fun, right? Uh, let's talk about the most recent match. Unfortunately, I was at um, a child's birthday party. COVID safe for the majority of that. Um, but uh, we did manage to get ourselves a 1-1 draw with Liverpool. Dave, you watched the match, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was one of those games that if you played it out on Football Manager and you were the big club that, that drew 1-1, you'd have thrown the keyboard. You'd probably do the close, don't save, load a new game. Because they, like from the off, they were, um, they were all over us. Uh, Salah scored after three minutes and it, it was... Um, it was. It looked like it was going. We were going to be in for a battering. I mean, it ended up like sixty-eight and a half percent possession to them, near enough seventy percent possession. Um, 
They had 22 shots, nine of them on target, XG 2.85. They should, could and should have beaten us really, really comfortably. If if that game had ended like, I don't know, 5-2 or something to Liverpool, I don't think that would have been surprising because neither team defended very well. They wasted so many chances and... Yeah, it was just it was it was a fantastic game of football to watch. But it but wasn't like me. would I would I be like right in thinking that it wasn't like one of the most memorable games for me this season was us against Spurs when we managed to get one one right at the end hmm. with a hilarious penalty situation. Yeah. In that game, they absolutely battered us and we offered nothing. Would yeah, it, it wasn't like that because because we, because of the way we've been set up since the Brighton game, we were offering a real threat on the counter-attack. I mean, Alan St. Maximum was yet again scaring the shit out of the opposition to the point where, I don't know if you've seen it, but like Fabinho, I think he's on, it's on the halfway line. St. Maximum, you know, knocks it past them and Fabinho, no interest in the ball whatsoever, just essentially rugby tackles Alan St. Maximum. And in, I mean, it's another debate, but I would say that should be a red card. There was another reckless. one of those earlier in the game. I can't remember which centre-back it was. Did Kavak. Was yeah. It Ka- yeah, yeah. But St. Max seems Kavak. to get two of those a game now. Almiron mm. quite often gets them as well. I think until it's made a red, it's going to keep happening. But just because it's stopping a counter-attack in your own half, it's still denying what will probably become a goal-scoring opportunity. I think the thing about those situations as a fan that gets you is like, if it's St. Maximin, you're like, that should be a red. Because in your head as a fan, you can see Mm. that you have a fantastic opportunity. But if it's Joe Linton... You're like, yeah. well, it's a yellow. It's, it's like dependent on the player. Yeah, if it's Joel Linton, you're like, that's got us up the pitch and it means we can put a ball in the box from somewhere. Yeah. Well played. But with St. <laughs> Maximin, you just like, you know what could be... It's the numbers and the speed on the break as well because now we actually do seem genuinely able to counter-attack. It's, very, it's something Man City, weirdly, are really dirty at doing. It gets overlooked in the idea of Pep's beautiful football. Yes. They're forever doing that of just breaking up the, yeah. right at the beginning, taking a, a cynical yellow. So there's one thing I want to be clear on. It's not that he fouled him on the, the counter-attack. It was the manner in which he fouled him because mm. he there was it wasn't just like clipping his heels or um, like, a, like a, a shoulder-to-shoulder just barge him out of the way. This was the it was the ball was long gone by the time Fabinho altered his his trajectory to like side like just barrel into an Alan to maximum. So there was it was like hyper cynical. It wasn't like I think the, the, I think the problem is that the way football is now, there would have been a time when you could have that at the referee's discretion and the referee can make that decision. But because of the way they have to make the rules now, it would have to be something very, a very specific law and what determined made that situation a red. And, and then that would just be just constantly, tiresomely debated. I mean, I know now it, <laughs> it's creating, yeah. it's, it's creating a, a, a goal score, denying a goal scoring opportunity. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, it was the, I suppose you could have made the case that 
that was denying a goal scoring opportunity, even though it was that far back. I, I think if there was a rule of like, foul cover that. I, I think if there was something about no attempt to play the ball, kind of thing. So for that cynical there, there, level there of foul. Is. So it's it's um, if the there's essentially like one of the red card offences is um, like excessive like physical contact off the ball. Like if if somebody uses like excessive force off the ball, also if if a if a challenge is reckless, and I think you can you can certainly make a case that the excessive force was was used because he he fucking like speared him. And the the other thing was like and the so it was reckless. Yeah, it was reckless because the the impact could have like it, it was deliberate to hurt him. It wasn't like a like I say, it wasn't clipping his heels or something. It was reckless and it was excessive force. And those are both yeah. red card offences. I think this isn't hyperbole just because it's St. Maximin and it happened to Newcastle. But I think he was genuinely trying to kill him. And I think yeah. he should be arrested. <laughs> it's never, never going to be a red, but I, it's no. a shame. Because I think there should be a panel that judges it based on players immediately. Like, that's St. Maximin, that's a red. I think, I don't, I don't a, genuinely... I think it should be a celebrity panel. Like every yeah. week, have a, a comedian, maybe an ex-politician, a chef, and they should, or a handful of locally selected nurses who've won the privilege to represent exactly. the NHS for it. That's exactly. how it should happen. If you can, if you can make decisions of life and death every day, then it should be a cinch <laughs> to make a decision like that. These, these people, they, they're capable. They pr- they prove it day in day out. Paul, you saw most of the game, didn't you? Yes. All the Sorry, games. I, you that? That's not the question. Before, yeah. before that, so I think you found a way to fix VAR, which is just have it operated by nurses, and it's sure. guaranteed to work. But yes, I did see the game. I if really, you say it's not guaranteed to work, then you're just why are you insulting our nurses? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I. It's not often you get to sit down and enjoy a Newcastle game and go toe-to-toe with one of the best teams. I don't, Even though they were all over us stats-wise, even Klopp didn't really have any complaints with the draw. I think we I think... deserved... We deserved it more on the basis of their crap finishing and our good goalkeeper, but actually as well, we could have... I'm sure we'll come on to it, could have won 2-1. We did mm. have a goal disallowed after 90 minutes. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah they have really tailed off as a side, um, if, we, if we'd have been catching them a year ago, then, uh, I mean, Salah seems to be the only one of the front three who can finish anymore for them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yes, uh, this is what I, I came into the game at a perfect moment. I saw the last 10, 15 minutes with my um, nearly four-year-old son sat on my lap, who for a moment just decided to be really into football and really enjoyed it. So it was like... <laughs> Really good fun, <laughs> and um, they uh, we we got uh, fucking bar. You just don't know if you're allowed to celebrate, but we did get uh, an equalizer that turned out to not be an equalizer, didn't we? I did mm-hmm. celebrate, and there was no part of me that was like, I don't know if I'm allowed to celebrate this. I was screaming around the house to the point where my daughter came down and told me to be quiet because it was hurting her feelings. <laughs> After both goals, 
I got a proper talking to after her. She's only four. And she was like, you, you need to celebrate less loudly because that wasn't fun. <laughs> so um, the first one, I've just remembered exactly what happened. It was the, uh, the Wilson scenario. Yeah. yeah. Handball that wasn't a handball that was a handball. Um, the annoying there is, there, really. the rule there is annoying. And if it is a handball, which they're looking at from VAR, why is the foul that happened in the build-up to it not given? There's, this is the problem with VAR, and I think why we all agree it probably should go. It only works if you have a decent level of application of it, and we don't mm. have that. So it's, it's really... I heard, um, is it Nicky Bandini on yeah. the Football Weekly podcast um, saying the other day that VAR is just about the way it's applied and there just is nowhere near as much debate in Italy because there are a lot more um, clear and obvious in Italy, whereas here mm. to be... Go, the, whoever's responsible for VAR seems to be like going through the minutiae of every decision. Mm. Clear and obvious just seems to be have been completely ignored. But, mm. um, yeah, Dave, anything to say on that first denied goal disallowed goal. not really I mean I know that that law that handball law is getting looked at next like I think it's going to get scrapped for next season which makes sense because I mean it's it's similar to my, my problem with the offside law and the way it's applied if you boil it down to what the the original law was to stop um it was to like is to you to use your hands to like get an advantage or to score a goal or something like it, to 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 cheat using your hands, but like the ball bouncing off somebody and hitting your hand, it's not you using your hands. It's just you having hands. So it's not it, it, like it's not against the 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 put like the um the what's the word I'm looking for. It's not against football to like accidentally ball strike your hand. Just like, it feels like the yeah. beginning of a talk sport debate though, where it's like, problem with VAR, like you can't have hands. If you're going to play football, <laughs> no, you're not allowed to have hands. The game's gone. <laughs> to be fair, it could be a fantastic boost for our Paralympians. <laughs> it's true. Suddenly. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, that the first disallowed goal, boring, whatever, mm. just very frustrating, but there we are. Um, second goal, not disallowed. Joe Willock, what has he scored? He scored, has he scored four in the last four, or is it three in the last yeah. three? He scored... Feels like... Three, he's, he's scored three late goals in the last four games. That's what he's done. He's almost at a goal a game, and he's hardly started. Like he is developing a reputation which he says he doesn't want, understandably, and that is super sub. To be fair, I don't. I have this perception that he's great, and we need to, um, we need to try and sign him permanently, and maybe we should. But all I sort of have seen him do is arrive late and score goals at the end of games. Well, do you I, mean, know I don't who, really know what else he does as a footballer, but I mean, if he that's not a bad that, one trick to have. <laughs> great, if he can keep doing that, and I mean, it's, if he manages to do it at the same rate, he'll be 
he'll be in the uh, Premier League Hall of Fame. More on that later. Kevin um, Nolan. They, that's who he reminds me of. Yeah, yeah. Kevin not, Nolan. not, yeah. not in the same like. You know, he's a different type of football, but just that arrives late, scores a goal, but you don't really see what else he does, which is why I don't think he works as a as like a, a one of two. I think you have to play him as a three, as part of a midfield three. But I think what was interesting about Willock coming on was the the tactical reshuffle that allowed him to play as a midfielder. <laughs> Did you see this? So we we took off, I think it was Kieran Clark, who was one of yeah. the three. Yeah, he didn't have he didn't have a great game. No, he had probably his worst game, I think. But instead yeah. of going to four at the back, which seems obvious, we moved a midfielder into the heart of our defence, and it was John Joe Shelby. Which is because what you want at the back, what you want at the back is somebody who's uh, who can't tackle, who's slow, who's selfish, and who's prone to like just pinging the ball away. Oh, and one who's easily wound up. That's what you want at the <laughs> rock of your. Fucking hell. But it worked. It yeah, worked, Dave. In fairness to it as an idea, Shelby a lot of the time plays in that position anyway. He's just not yeah. started that. Like he does find himself coming deep. I'm, does that mean we should continue... play Joe Linton as a centre midfielder then? Maybe. I'm still continually baffled by what Shelby's doing to be. He's the only sort of ever present, I think, since Bruce decided he was doing it his way whatever that is, because I'm still not totally clear on that. And Shelby's passing range seems to just have gone. I don't the only assist he's had was in the was it the Burnley game where he passed it to St. Maximum about four <laughs> feet in his own half and then St. Maximum rounded everyone on the pitch twice and scored. <laughs> Shelby gets an assist from that. But well, I'm not quite sure what you... he offers that's keeping Willock out of the team. But maybe he's just like a lucky omen. I'm not I'm not Shelby's biggest fan, but I think what he does offer is that that out ball that if you are a counter-attack side and you're not playing with like Shah and um like maybe Fernandez, but if you because you to replace that level of passing ability, you'd have to have a couple of decent ball playing centre halves. Mm. And you know someone like Sean Longstaff in the in the centre who can, you know, nowhere near as good as as Shelby, but like can pass it long. Um, so I think I think if we're playing counter attack, we have to have to either play Shar and Fernandez or Shelby. I get the sense that Shelby, he is very talented, you know, and I th- I get the sense that a lot of managers like him because in a squad like ours. Uh, bottom half of the table Premier League squad in training every day. I'm sure he's by no means the hardest worker. But I imagine compared with other central midfielders, he does quite a few things in training every week that just make the coaches go, oh, he is a good player. Yeah. I just think, I think he's a nice footballer to to watch when he, when, when he does things right, and I'm not saying he's doing the right thing in games at all, but I just think, I just imagine around the coaching staff, he has a, a favourable reputation. Uh, uh, do you know what I mean? They, they look on his ability. Hmm. Yeah, I sort of get that. I kind of, I think it was in The Athletic, there was a good article about him. And they were saying Bruce essentially did the same when he was at Hull with Tom Huddleston 
who is a sort of identical player, like has a very good silky passing range on him, but no work ethic. I I do get that we need that sort of passing range to start counterattacks, but I think if you're having a midfield two, you can't afford for one of them to be as lazy as Shelby. I think it's not going too badly at the minute because we're coming up against teams that are tired from fixture congestion or have nothing to play for at the end of the season. I think the other thing to consider is is you don't need that level of passing range when your wing-backs aren't getting to the byline and your two attacking midfielders in Alan St. Maxim and and Miguel Almiron are perfectly happy picking the ball up in your half and taking Mm -hmm. it on themselves. They don't need that, that ball over the top. And I I don't know if, if Shelby were to go in the summer, I wouldn't shed any tears. I think he's, he's, yeah, I don't know. He's done. I think it'd be interesting to see how he goes to like a promoted side or something. Yeah. Yeah, or a team that's in the championship. Yeah, a team that's going for promotion in the championship. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see him end up at Fulham. Yeah. I think as well, there's no reason why him with Wilson couldn't recreate the sort of Shelby-Gale partnership that there was. Because we do finally have a frontman with quite a good range of movement. Like, Shelby, when you've got Joel Linton up front, doesn't really make sense, but... I guess maybe we'll see a bit more between now and the end of the season of his passing range when we've got a few genuine movement options up top. I don't know. Well, whatever it is, it's it's um, the mood is somewhat different to what it was a few weeks ago, and uh, we'll have uh, we'll have a break now, I think, and then we'll go on to social media, and uh, we'll also talk about um, Alan Shearer being inducted into the legendary Premier League Hall of Fame. But um, it's nice to talk about us uh, having some good performances for a change. And uh, but we'll have a break and we'll be back in a minute. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. Good break, guys. Lovely. Yeah, Hall of Fame worthy. Right, okay, let's do the Hall of Fame. So, suddenly, out of nowhere, with no fucking warning, I had no idea this was coming up. Did you? No. Um, the Premier you weren't League, consulted. I, I barely consulted. had time to put a suit on when I heard the news. <laughs> the Premier League has decided uh, that we now have a Hall of Fame. It, it, it seems two like, people you know, in it. Well, you've got to start somewhere, haven't you? Yeah, I know, I know. You've got to start somewhere. 
I hope and, they stop there though. Just don't induct anyone else. Oh, and there's a literal <laughs> and there's a literal hall of fame where those two are just like milling around this massive hall. There's a I would like hit. it if there's like if there's like an admin error and like the next and like the kinks get inducted. Or, or like, <laughs> Or just or like Paul like, Skulls gets inducted into the rock and roll rock and roll hall of fame. Or just the next one, someone like Emray. It's <laughs> just really not befitting of the Hall of Fame. was <laughs> <laughs> like four for a couple of seasons. <laughs> but uh first, yes, Alan Shearer and Thierry Henry. They've played it pretty safe, pretty deserved. Hard to argue. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to argue, but Rio Ferdinand managed it. Did he? What did he say? What's he done there? He, he said that um, Thierry Henry, fair enough, but he doesn't think that Shearer should have been in because he hasn't won enough. You know, the Premier League's all-time top goal scorer who's got <laughs> at least one Premier League trophy hasn't won enough, isn't good enough to be in Rio Ferdinand's. Ferdinand thinks Rio, it should basically be Man U players. If Ferdinand wants a different player in there, he should go out and buy them with his own money. <laughs> yeah. Simple as that. That's like Shearer being in Shearer being the record goal scorer and not being in a good team is more of a reason for him to be in there. Yeah, he's, he's essentially had a hand tied behind his back, and he's yeah. It's like um, Letizia will eventually get into there and he didn't score very many comparatively he's um you know i don't think he won anything at southampton did he um so but he was such a glorious footballer that he has to be in the hall of fame his career path is one of the odd his late his autumn years are mad matt letitia if you follow him on twitter he's now a full-on like anti-lockdown Nut mm. job. Yeah. But I mean, some of the other ones are like, you know, you, you can't you can't argue with them, but I don't want them to be in there. Like Roy Keane, John Terry. John Terry, Michael Owen. There should be like a Hall of Fame and a Hall of Cunts. I think they should be like those <laughs> those two things. I can't like... see Sky Sports News reporting <laughs> on the opening of the Hall of Cunts. The thing about any of these debates, which we're now gonna have, like every year for ages about well he's not a hall of fame player to me a hall of fame player is is the debate that has started to happen so often in the last five years that really irritates me is the world class debate the debate of whether an individual player is world class or not because mm. world class is not something that's defined by anything so it's not it's just what it's two people <laughs> who have two def, different definitions of what world class is Arguing over whether so are you you're telling me hang on a minute you're telling me that Robin Van Persie was world class you're telling me Robin Van Persie was world, well, yes because in my world class there's ten players and your world class is fifty I don't it is well, like two like, people arguing over whether a player has joie de vivre <laughs> <laughs> it's just a meaningless thing and that is what this Hall of Fame thing will be until it's been going for fifty years and through that. Uh, there has been a criteria set. But at the moment, there's so many, there are plenty of players who could, because we're inheriting this from American sports, right? And they yeah. take in lots of players and there are plenty of players who already would have been in the Hall of Fame 
if we were mm-hmm. like American sports. So you know, yeah, I think I think the um, the the thing that I'm looking forward to is like 20 years time when you start seeing people like I don't know Kevin Phillips getting in there or you know just like because he he won the golden boot you know he was the european top goal scorer for that particular season he did score a lot of goals does he is he a hall of famer though david is he a hall of famer he's not a hall of fame player he's not a hall of fame player kevin phillips he's not a hall of fame player he's not a hoffer he's not a hoffer (laughs) (laughs) but with that being said i mean it's hard to say because I'm going to say we can't, you don't include players like Michael Owen or Sol Campbell, who, who, which will be the next ex Newcastle player who played 100 games for us. Did Michael Owen play 100 games for us? I'm discounting Michael Owen because he's not defined by Newcastle. Yeah. And he's in the other hole that we were talking about. Right. Okay. The next ex Newcastle player who played 100 games for us. To go into the Hall of Fame, Janola probably didn't score play a hundred games for us. Right, for, forget it. The next Newcastle player who is like, <laughs> Les Ferdinand, an ex Newcastle player, Les you know Ferdinand. I would have said Gary Speed, Les Ferdinand, Shay Given, outside yeah. chance of Shay Given, um, one of the top goalkeepers for pretty much the entirety of his career. Um, Janola's a good show. Andy Cole, wouldn't he be in there before? Mm, definitely, yeah, Andy Cole. Yeah. Games, but I mean, um, it's, it's it's tricky though because when you look at some of the players that we hold as some of our best players, because they didn't win anything at Newcastle, they won't be viewed as Hoffers. It will just be like Rob Lee was one of the best midfielders in the country. Is he going to get in there? I would be surprised. Do you think Philip Albert will get in there? Because that's the litmus test for me of whether I want to go to this Hall of Fame or Nikos Davizas. <laughs> well, the depends. Is, Philip Albert maybe get in there. May will maybe get in there, but like he, he it might be at like nearly two hundred players before him. Oh yeah, yeah, fair. But so, yeah, I don't think I don't think for really for you know a, a list of good reasons there won't be many very many Newcastle players. Yeah, I saw something on Twitter where someone had a. uh, It was something to do with the Premier League saying, "Give us your nominations, give us your six and they had about thirty players up there, and I found it really hard to pick six because there were so many players in there. You're like, well, how could how could Roy Keane, Patrick Vieira, Wayne Rooney, Frank Lampard, John Terry, Ashley Cole, Peter Schmeichel? Mm. Steven Gerrard. How could any of these players not be Eric yeah. Tottenham? Like, you know, basically. But I think if you have if you have too many players in there as well, it undermines the sanctity of the weak old <laughs> concept of a Hall of Fame for the Premier League. <laughs> That's what upsets me. And the, the thing the thing that gets me is this this is purely to get people clicking on links and looking at shit. When, like we say, in like four or five years' time. All of those 30 players will be on there. Well, we don't know how many they're going to announce. When they... What are you doing, Dave? What? Dave, you've suddenly just made a terrified face. Yeah. Yeah. My little one's crying his eyes out. 
It's the Hall of Fame that's done it. It's He's the against Hall of Fame. It. It's just, it's, and I yeah. just blame him. Well, you know, leave it. it it's still a patriarchy. Leave it to you. So <laughs> <laughs> it'll be the. It's the. Um, yeah, it's the concept of the Hall of. He's like, why are we talking about the Hall of Fame when there are people out there living in poverty? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we don't know how many, how often they're going to announce Hall of Famers, but all I know is when all the restrictions are gone, three of us, we need to go there and we need to have a look around the Hall of Fame. We well, that's a point. Because the, the, um, the, the football museum's in Manchester. Ooh. Is, it? Yeah, is that Hall where the Hall of Fame is? Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Do? I've got no what idea. What are they going to do? They're going to print out the Wikipedia page of each player. <laughs> Carve it into oh. stone. Um, so uh, I've got some stuff on uh, <coughs> social media here, uh, some Twitter questions. As always, I'm going to completely irresponsibly read these completely fresh. So if um, you do ever want to get some of your wild white supremacist ideas broadcast then this is a great way of doing it <laughs> because i read these completely fresh um andy sheldon says presuming we survive how do you see next season going where we'll be able to keep hold of alan st maximin in the closed season will the return of fans and inevitable constant abuse see bruce out the door three questions there three good questions let's assume we survive Next season, how's it going to go? I mean, I think it'll be like this season. I think it'll be um, a couple of long spells of terrible football um, interrupted by a couple of short spells of quite good football and all right results, which will be enough to make us survive. That's what it's been like every year for the last yeah. five years. I think this season I, I, especially, it's depended mainly on the fitness of Alan St. Maximin. So sure. it, it could be another one of those. Which brings us on to, will we be able to keep him in the summer? I, mean, it's I think so, because if, he, if he'd been fit for the entirety of this season and if um, COVID hadn't smashed a lot of clubs' budgets into pieces... Um, had he been fit and people had money to spend, then yeah, I could have seen a, a bigger club coming to, in. It would take something crazy from Mike Ashley because whatever his transfer fee is, I don't think there's many clubs willing to pay that right now. No. What do you think Ashley would sell him for? Because I reckon if, say, 35 or 40 million came in, Ashley would accept it. Yeah, I would say 40 million. I think I you'd don't want know to who's use... got that to spend is the other thing. I think there may there must be clubs who've got forty million to spend, but you don't spend it on a player who is as injured as often as St. Mm. is, surely. Surely. A couple of years ago, probably would. Mm-hmm. And, um will the return of van fans and all of that is Bruce gonna leave? Unless, yeah. I think the, I think the word unless there's a takeover. Yeah, I mean, but then a takeover changes everything. Like it changes, t- t- changes what we can expect, who'd stay, all That's, the rest. That of it. changes everything. So, assuming there isn't a takeover, he's going to be our manager at the beginning of next season, isn't he? And yeah, 
probably will be until we're in a, a relegation fight mm-hmm. worse than the one we've been in this season. Yeah, I think the the interesting word in the question is like the inevitable abuse of Bruce. I'm not. I'd be interested to see what happens when fans are back in the stadium, even for the Sheffield United game, because it it felt very inevitable not that long ago. But I I feel like after the Liverpool game, if fans are in now, I don't think they'd necessarily be Bruce getting abused. I don't. Think but it's also it and if that is if that does happen, I mean Ashley's had so much abuse for years, and that doesn't budge him. Abuse, yeah, on, but that's, uh, that's huge. Uh, abuse on Bruce is is just a nice shield for Ashley, isn't it? So I, I, I think all it would do is potentially cause Bruce to resign because it would be affecting his mental health. I don't, yeah, I yeah. think it would take being in the bottom three for Ashley to get rid of Bruce. I don't think it would be anything to do with fan reaction. But the two okay. sort of go hand in hand. I think Bruce yeah. might have earned another chance with a lot more fans than maybe some think. I think you might be right, because it has been... A few games is is enough to, to make you forget what's been before, isn't it? And by second chance, I mean eighth chance. Sure. John Tilly says... Are we good now? It just doesn't feel right, does it? Is even Dave starting to feel a bit pos- more positive about us? Hey, hang on a second. I was pretty positive that we would stay up. I was pretty positive that Alan St. Maximum's a good player and Wilson's a good player and all the rest of it. It was just fucking Bruce that was the issue. I think you were, you were certain we would go down until it looked like we would go down and then you were kind of positively would stay up so I think we've all been proved right and wrong a number of on a, in a number of different ways this it's the beauty of football you get to change your mind often enough that you're always right and always wrong <laughs> uh, Tony No Toppings says great name your, by the way great name Tony No Toppings what are your thoughts on the balance of the team and getting certain players in the right positions e.g. people saying Almiron is out of position and need a back four, would we then have to drop Ritchie? Is Maximin and Wilson, Wilson as a front two viable or should ASM be on the wing long term? There's some deep tactical talk there. Mainly depends on availability, doesn't it? But whatever we're doing right now, quite like it. Yeah. I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with it. I think... Um, um, Alan St Maximum as like one of a front two I don't particularly like it because he naturally drops deeper to get on the ball and what you might find then is that your actual striker Wilson starts getting isolated so um, I'd much prefer to have a 4-2-3-1 hey. um, with St Maximum out on the wing but I appreciate that without Isaac Hayden in the side, we don't have a solid uh, central midfielder. So we kind of, and plus, like 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 we said, it's working, so I wouldn't mess with it. But long-term, yeah, I'd want change. I'd want, like, 4-2-3-1. Long-term, when you're looking towards next season, mm. whatever the right system for us is, it needs to be one that works around a player like St. Maximum and players like Almiron rather than 
Richie, who is great. But if like if Richie is a casualty of the system, then so be it. Yeah. Same with Jacob Murphy as well. I think Richie and Murphy have been a big part in our upturn in form, but a lot of that is because they fit that system, but we're playing our we need our best players in their best positions. I don't think sure. we've had many games where that's been the case. Both but Richie and as well could play in a front three, but they don't come on. Yeah. But no. By rights. Sorry, Paul. Else no, I think I was basically about to say the same thing, really. I think Richie, Richie and Murphy have been great players, but you sort of think, is there any point having them when really they're only going to be getting into our team when we're playing wing-backs? That might be harsh on both of them. Um, another question along similar lines to one that's been before, Lagrange says... Now that survival is almost secured, when will Dave be serving up humble pie with extra custard? Just how Brucey likes it. Take that, Dave. The listeners have perceived you to be a man who should be eating humble pie now. And Dave will be eating that humble pie on the last episode of the season. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Um, All Hail Teague says... Watford got promoted, which means their keeper will do those vlogs behind the scenes in the Premier League. I'm not familiar with that. Which Newcastle player slash manager would you most enjoy a candid daily vlog from? And whose would be the least enjoyable? So is this Ben Foster? Because I saw, I don't really know what this is about, but I just see like he wears a GoPro or something during games or that might have been. During games? I may have got completely the wrong end of the stick. But I think that was like part of his vlogging and giving more access. Was it, at least other teams wait for Amazon to ask them. He just is making like a learn. fucking cyclist. What is it? What is the deal with cyclists now? All wearing go wearing GoPros, pros, recording absolutely everything on their ride, getting in and then going right. I'll edit my best bits. Um, yeah. Anyway. I think it's more for if they get no, into no, cars no. and stuff. I think yeah. it's a safety thing. I don't think it's ego. Okay. <laughs> don't think it's just big-headed cyclists going around. <laughs> well, I've seen a video. What is the deal with ambulance? Um, they need to tell us that they're on the right, road right, with these right. big sirens. <laughs> the ego on them. Fine. Um, Fine. To, an, to answer the question. I'm all for cyclists. And let me just say again, thank you very much to our sponsors, Rally Bicycles. <laughs> to, <laughs> to answer the question, who who would be most enjoy a candid daily vlog from? It's a maximum. I just think it'd be fun. Yeah. He says and, it could be a current or former player. Uh, oh, in that case, St. Maximum. I'd have liked to have seen a um, Nile Ranger vlog. Yes. The, can you that can you not just can you not just would have get been an on insight TV? into another world? I always wanted to know well, what exactly is going on with Nile Ranger. Just watch Crime Stoppers. Uh, yeah, I do uh, think with some players though, you we are essentially getting vlogs from them. Just anyone who's on Instagram, we get like I know what coffee Miguel Almiron drinks thanks to his videos. <laughs> I don't need that level of access. And who would give the worst vlog? Who was our most? James Milner. Although he's quite funny, isn't he? But I he think is he... quite funny, yeah. 
Darren Ambrose. I mean, this could be the worst or the best again. I just want to know what Henri Saive's life is like. <laughs> I think he's just constantly going to the tip and doing stuff to fill his days. The thing is, feels like a dick. Henri Saive is that training every day? Does he does he train with the first team or the, or the under twenty threes? And what is his interaction like with the other players? And just what is that like? <laughs> is he because he's constantly <laughs> surrounded by? kids as well is it just like those american films where an older person goes back to school undercover (laughs) but like if he's with the under 23s then surely he's like playing every day he's training with players on like a couple of hundred pound a week who have better career prospects than him but he's on like what is he on like 40 grand grand, 40 grand so instead of never being kissed it's never been picked he's like He's a professional footballer, but not really. He's just essentially a, a millionaire. So you're just like every day you go to training and there's like Peter Jones <laughs> just playing next to you. Like he's just a professional trainer, I guess. That's what he does. I'm just yeah. like he's not worrying about. Oh, are we going to go to that barbecue on Saturday? Yes, book it in. There is no way I'm busy on Saturday. (laughs) So almost, yeah, almost I'm sort of like the anti The players, ones who you would think would be the most boring are the ones that I would sort of find the most interesting. Mm. I don't want no razzmatazz. I don't want no like, hey, now you're having fun here. Let's go. I don't want that. (laughs) Who's that player? (laughs) That's just a random... Oh, he's that guy we signed from Eurovision, wasn't he? <laughs> that that was my impression of a random, glamorous footballer. <laughs> I want who's going to be doing like wild and crazy things. Yeah, I want a footballer who's just like filling out his tax return. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, yeah. Every every player has a potential for theirs to be interesting. I did say it, it, Chola Ramiobi's legendary MTV Cribs episode. Oh, yeah. His would have been quite boring. He would have been pretty bad. I imagine Kieran Dyer's would be boring, but offset by him being very flashy. But it would just mm. be like an annoying watch. Flashy with a Suffolk accent. <laughs> yeah. It's a good yeah. question. I'm going to keep thinking about it. Yeah, okay. So our... Uh, our next football match is on Sunday. It is against Arsenal. We're at home. Uh, me and Paul are starting to wonder whether it's possible we could watch this in a pub garden. It seems unlikely, but if you have a... If you... Well, it's not a tip-off. If you happen to <laughs> be the landlord of a pub in London with a pub garden and fancy letting us have a table, then... Do you get in touch? <laughs> um, or if you're an eccentric millionaire like Henri Saive, want to invite us to your garden. Um, so, uh, yes, we're playing Arsenal. They're shit now. We're good yeah. now. This should be easy, right? This Ball. is our second big six game in a row where we get to stick it to the man. <laughs> We're going to walk all over them, right? Dave, Dave? Well, 
I'll tell you what, they play Villarreal just before us and Villarreal just after us. Um, and you would assume that they would need to take that competition more seriously because they're not likely to get into the Champions League by league position. So winning the Europa is their best shot. <clears throat> so um, they might not actually take us that seriously. And we, I, would, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if we got a point. Mm-hmm. Wilson's going to be more more match fit. St. Maximum's gotten uh, some more games under his belt, etc., etc. Um, there was talk that like um, Fabian Shaw was in. Um, he was in the under twenty three squad. Yeah, he played for the under twenty threes. I do. I do feel like every time we've got to this point in the last couple of years, where we go, hang on a minute, are we? All right now. Um we then go shit. Um I think this is not as daunting a game as say like West Ham recently. Sure. I don't I think Arsenal sometimes the fear factor is based on one player. Like every time we came up against them in recent years, it's like oh Obama Yang or Urzel would have a great game, but I don't really feel like that is an issue. I think as well, like Dave says, they're not going to be focused on us particularly and we're going to have our best players all available and with games under their belts. I think we'll I'm win. presuming uh, Willick's not allowed to play. No. no. So no. We'll have, we can't rely on him to get us a late winner. I wonder if we'll see either Matty Longstaff or Elliot Anderson on the bench for this to take his place. I would definitely like to. I think the closer we get to safety, the more sense it makes to get games for that sort of level of player. Matty Longstaff has been out for so long now, like yeah. since signing a deal with us. He's been out for so long now that you, you wonder, like, will he ever get back in? But... Well, it's interesting because... Um... With Matty Longstaff, the way that we're playing right now, you would argue that it would suit him because it's like high energy, lots of pressing, and all the rest of it. Like you would, you would argue that yeah, he could he could come in and certainly do the same kind of job as we're asking of Sean Longstaff. Um, he could certainly be a like for like replacement for Joe Willock as well. I mean, he's, he's the yeah. most obvious replacement. Definitely. Definitely. Apparently, the and, club do have high hopes for Elliot Anderson, so I'm sure he'd be disappointed not to get a chance as well. There are two players where you just think, why haven't they been out on loan? Like, I get it, sort of covering against injuries, but surely you can just have them out on loan and recall them if you do. Or is that just football manager, not the real world? I don't well, think you, you remember can... on football manager, you can only recall them at certain points of the season outside of the transfer window. You can't oh, so, Either yeah. way, at least one of them should have gone out on loan, especially after we loaned Willock in. I don't yeah. know why Elliot Anderson is kept here. Um, one thing that... I'll go on, Dave. Yeah. I was just going to say that as it stands, we are nine points clear of 18th position and... They play on the Saturday against Chelsea, and I think that if they don't win we say that game, Fulham. yeah, yeah, well, 18th, but yeah, Fulham. If they don't win, if they don't beat Chelsea, that gives them like four games to get 
more than nine points, I'd, you know, it's it's pretty likely that, that that's that. So by Saturday, our boys might be on the beach. The, we're all working under the assumption. Um, so if, if Fulham lose and we win, that. sorry, you say if Fulham lose and we win, does that mean we're safe? Uh, yeah, automatically. Does it? Because we, they've still got to play us. So, well, yeah, but if that, so yeah, that if really it doesn't really matter because if if we if we go twelve points clear and there are twelve games left, there are twelve points left available, and they're currently oh level on goal difference with us, so it would come down to goal difference. Uh, okay, so but yeah, we are essentially safe, which means that. Uh, I reckon we won't quite be on the beach yet in the Arsenal game. But after that, our last four games of the season were going to be awful. Um, so enjoy the Arsenal game. Let's have uh, score predictions for the fuck of it, Dave. 1 1. 1 1. Paul. 2 0 Newcastle. 2 0 Newcastle. Four. I'm going to go 2 2. Oh. Wow. Although I don't know if I believe that Arsenal score that many goals. But yeah, I just wanted a different prediction. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dave Watson. Thanks, Fergus. Thank you to Paul Doolan. Thank you. Thank you to Graham Jones. And thank you to you, the listener. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.